Good morning, good morning. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> I, uh, I love being a part of uh, Operation Christmas Child this year. If you haven't heard, um, as a child, I received one of these boxes. And this year, I was able to pack a box, more than one. And uh, it's going off in this bunch. And uh, if you still have, have a box at home, uh, stop in the lobby after service. Uh, there are still ways that you can... Uh, get that box uh, sent in here or brought in, all right? So ensure that you do that. But uh, good morning. Good morning. And uh, welcome to LifeSpring. My name is Jesse, and uh, I'm one of the persons on staff here at LifeSpring. And today, I have the privilege of sharing with you. And before we get into the Word, I want to bring you up to speed on some things. So I'm a Caribbean boy. Born and raised in Belize, land of the free by the Carib Sea, as they say. And uh, I start there because a couple weeks ago, while at Life Group, I was sharing some logistics for an outreach that we'll be doing uh, to bless individuals that are homeless in our community. And while sharing, one of the women in our group asked, well, how will we know where to meet up? And I responded, well, oh, I'll send you an address. And I don't know if you heard that, and I, see, I hear some of you laughing and shaking your head, But uh, she heard me say, I'll send you a dress. Or, I'll send you an address. And uh, you can see how quickly downhill that variation could go. And so, not only that, but I wouldn't be sending any woman a dress, you know, because as you can see, two became one, and my beautiful Deborah, uh, well... She's awesome, and you should get to meet her, all right? I promise you, you'll love her. But I say all that to say that if you don't hear something quite right while I'm speaking, come chat with me after. (laughs) Or we'll just blame it on the sound guy, all right? (laughs) But it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Come on, I said it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? If you're visiting with us for the first time here, thank you for coming. It's great to have you with us. Again, you'll find a connection card in your bulletin. It would be great if you could fill that out and uh, drop it off at our welcome center in the lobby. We have a gift there for you. And uh, this morning, we'll be continuing in the book of Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. If you brought your Bible, phone, iPad, whichever you use, feel free to go there. If you didn't, we've got you covered. Uh, We've got Bibles in the back on the table. We want you to make use of them. If you need a Bible, you can take it home. There's a starter kit back there. And uh, lastly, it'll be up on the screen behind me. So numerous ways for you to follow along here with us this morning. And those of you watching online, uh, we welcome you. Thanks for joining us today. And if you're viewing the record, likewise, we welcome you. The story we're looking at today is the story of Jesus raising the widow's son. And it is related to the previous and latter story that follows it. It is a complement story to Jesus' healing of the centurion's servant, which we covered last week in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 7. And if you weren't here, I'll give you just a quick recap. So Pastor Dan shared on faith of the centurion, how he was kind, that he showed care and concern for his servant, He was humble. He was a man of great faith. Jesus was amazed by his faith and that we must walk by faith 
even in the small things. See, in both stories, the one we covered last week in today's passage, Jesus' word has great power. The power to heal even at a distance and the power to raise the dead. So let's read. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As they drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Shall we pray? Lord, this morning we come together as a family in your presence. Make yourself known to us in new ways, God, through your word. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. This is your day, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. So I've broken down today's passage into segments, and we'll start firstly with uh, verses 11 and 12. And uh, I've titled this uh, section, Only Son of His Mother. So verse 11, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Previously, Jesus was in the town of Capernaum, where he healed the centurion servant. The text says, soon afterward, and uh, meaning the very next day. And uh, he and his disciples traveled to Capernaum, which is about 20 miles south of Nain. So, uh, there should be a map up here, and there it is. If you can see with me, where is it? There it is, Nain. So Nain is right there. Nazareth is right there. And uh, Nain is about six miles southeast of Nazareth, near where Jesus was raised. And if you're familiar with the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, Elisha raised the only son of a Shunammite woman from the dead in Second Kings. And Shunem is about seven miles south of Nazareth, so right around here. And, uh, yes, seven miles south of Nazareth. So the place where Jesus raises the widow's son is geographically quite near the place where Elisha raised the Shunammite woman's son. And so today, in relation to geographical distance uh, from Nain to Nazareth and Shunem, it would be like looking over from the top of Bonnie Lake to like Sumner or Puyallup, you know, just for reference. The scripture says that a great crowd is following Jesus as he approaches name. And he has more than his 12 disciples because of his miracles and teaching. They, the crowd, have seen him perform incredible healing, the centurion servant. And they want to see what he will do next. And as they follow him and his disciples and approach Nain, a large funeral procession was leaving, headed for the cemetery. The second crowd is weeping, sobbing, and mourning. And in my culture of upbringing, if you are driving and you see a funeral procession, you pull over out of courtesy and out of respect 
and let the whole procession pass. In Jewish tradition, if you came across a funeral, you were to join that funeral. And so we have the meeting of two crowds. And so let us continue to see what happens in the text. Verse 12 says, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Luke talks about the dismal circumstances of the situation. She's already a widow. She has already lost her husband. And now her only son has died. This is a terrible tragedy. A terrible tragedy for anyone, but even more so any woman at any place and any time. But especially in the culture back then. This means she's now destitute. She has no way of providing for herself. In our 21st century mindset, that might seem far-fetched. I mean, what do you mean she cannot provide for herself? Well, in that culture, women could not work. And they depended on their husband. And if their husband died, they depended on a son. If their son died, they would be forced to beg. This was the woman's situation now. She had no one to provide for her. No one to take care of her. Her son dying meant she would likely end up begging and struggling to get by with no means of support. So Jesus comes on the scene. Isn't it great when he shows up? Huh? It doesn't sound like you're convinced. Isn't he great when he shows up? All right? So verse 13 to 15, Jesus' compassion. Verse 13a. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. By Webster's definition, compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. In biblical Greek, the word here for compassion is splachnizomai. And it is only use of Jesus and the Good Samaritan. Matthew 14, 14 says, And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had splachnizomai on them, and healed their sick. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 15, 32, it says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have splachnizomai on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way, feeding of the 4,000. Matthew 20, verses 34 says, And Jesus, in splachnizomai, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him, the healing of the two blind men. Every time it is used, the result of compassion is just not detached concern or kind words, but it's always involvement and action. Verse 13 says, And when the Lord saw her, he had splachnizomai on her. Jesus' purpose is not to bring attention to himself, though that is one of the effects of his actions. His heart and desire was to help the woman in need. Compassion was rare in Jewish philosophy. Their ethos was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So in the context of things, it was significant that Jesus even stopped to notice this woman. They are not accustomed to showing compassion and mercy. They weren't. And wouldn't you say that we're right there today in our own society? Church, just as Jesus walked the earth, he still desires to show compassion. But he wants to do it through his people, you and I, and the church. And when you and I, his church, merely show compassion through words, it is not enough. 
What made Jesus' compassion known was his willingness to act upon it, unlike those around the widow. See, it is much easier to speak in compassionate words, to tell people that we'll pray for them, to go through the motions. But Jesus demonstrates what genuine compassion looks like. He demonstrated splachnizomai. And we are told to be like him. The result of our compassion should not be detached concern or only kind words, but always involvement. Always involvement and action to those that God places in our path. Those who are disregarded and vulnerable, without judgment and without excuse. And help doesn't always mean money. Often it means the number one thing we say we don't have enough of, time. Followed by the second thing we say we don't have enough of, money. Some of y'all thought I got away, huh? Time and money. Those who are disregarded and vulnerable. These people are in our schools, on our freeways, at Walmart, Safeway, in our shops, are homeless on our streets, in our senior homes, in assisted living and memory care centers, in our families. These people are living right beside us, our neighbors. These people work beside us, our co-workers. So my question to you is, does your heart break for them as Jesus did when he saw the woman? Church, Christ has compassion for us, so we should have Christ's compassion for others. As representatives of His kingdom, carrying the power and authority of His name, we should enter rooms with Christ's compassion. Having compassion isn't about trying to be nice or feeling sorry for people, but it's allowing the Holy Spirit to be so alive in us that we actually exhibit the compassion of Christ as Christ reigns in our bodies. Verse 13b. And said to her, do not weep. Jesus' response to not weep or not cry infers that he has some way of addressing the passing of her son. Do not weep. It's a strong command. Typically when someone says do not, there is a reason behind it. You tell a child, do not touch the stove. It's, It's hot. You see a sign On the freeway and it says, do not enter. It means that the bridge might not be finished down the road. You don't want to go down there. Do not. Do not weep is a strange command, though, due to her loss, compounded by her being a widow. Do not weep is not textbook pastoral care. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we don't think about these things, but if I'm talking to Pastor Dan or one of you, And I'm telling you that so-and-so has passed away. And he responds, well, Jesse, do not weep. I mean, that would seem odd, right? I would probably respond, well, um, okay, by weeping louder. That would probably be my response. By Jesus saying, do not weep, he's raising her hope. He raises expectation that he will meet. Where in your life today is he trying to raise your hope? Where in your life is He challenging you to raise your expectations if only you will allow Him? His command might seem strange. Often more than not, it is. But our God does not fall short of His promises. He doesn't add burden to our situation. The Word of God produces its intended results. Do you believe that today, church? We just sang it this morning, yeah. 
This is a move. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. See, all God's Old Testament and New Testament promises of peace, joy, love, goodness, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification, fellowship, hope. I can go on and on. They are made possible and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are, church. Do you believe that today? Verse 14. It says, Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Touching the bear like a stretcher, this is like a stretcher, signals the bears to stop. And touching the dead body by Old Testament law makes a person ritually unclean. Numbers 19 verses 11 and 16 says, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. Anyone open... Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural cause or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. Friends, Jesus did not become unclean for whatever Jesus touches becomes clean. See, what Jesus touches becomes purified and holy. He touches death and bring life. He touches those who are unclean and He makes them clean. He touches our lives and we are transformed. Come on, church. Put your hands together if He's done this for you. I feel that in our culture that we are so stoic. Our culture is so stoic that whenever there's expressive worshiper, you hear somebody clapping your hands that we don't know what to do in those moments. But David said, I, even, I will become even more undignified than this. In today's culture, there were problems told David, you know what, you're being extra, man. You're doing too much, you know. <laughs> well, be extra, all right? <laughs> be extra for the Lord. Verse 14. It says, then he came up and touch. Touch is an important part of his ministry. He touched a leper as a part of the healing process in Luke 5. And we can find many other examples in Luke. Luke 8, 44-46 says, She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out of me. Luke 18.15 says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, the little children coming to Jesus. And then Luke 22.51 says, But Jesus answered, No more of this. And He touched man's ear and healed him, even while being arrested. He's making people holy. From the young, the babies, all the way up. Luke 24, verses 39 says, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. Jesus appearing to His disciples. 
as ambassadors of Christ, touching people is still an important part of the ministry. The Bible references again and again that the disciples and believers laid hands on the sick or they possessed, or those who were possessed or with other issues. We serve a mighty God who invites us to call upon Him. He can touch you today. He can make you clean. He can bring you back to life. The broken, pain, hurt, locked off areas you've considered as dead. And ultimately, He provides salvation and eternal, eternal life from death. Verse 15. It says, And the man sat up. So clearly it was an open casket. Because, I mean, <laughs> sat up and hit his head. That, that would not have been good, right? So it was open casket. <laughs> He sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. By raising this young man at Nain from the dead, Jesus demonstrates that he has power over death. He is none other than God's Son personified, God in flesh, who has come down from heaven to do the will of his heavenly Father. When he speaks, things happen. When he speaks, mountains move. I love the part of this verse which says, And Jesus gave him to his mother. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years that the swarm locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Joel is talking about the time of desolation in Judah. Are there things in your life? Are there seasons in your life? Are you walking through a season in your life where you're feeling desolate, where you're feeling barren, where you're feeling dry? He can restore it. Verse 16. It says, Fear sees them all. Fear seems to be a natural response to God's power. There are other examples in Luke. Luke 1, 2 says, When Zechariah saw him, and we covered this when we first started Luke, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Luke 1.30 says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Luke 2.9 And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. In the first part of verse 16, their initial response is one of fear. What they fear is the power of God. When God works in such powerful ways, the fear of God is one of the results. So fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. God had promised Moses in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 18, says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command them, or command him. This promise pointed forward to the coming of Christ, and the crowd, while probably not realizing the full significance of their words, proclaimed that promise, and it was being fulfilled there. See, earlier I mentioned Elisha raising the only son of a Shunammite woman from the dead. And Shunem is about seven miles south of Nazareth. And Elijah performed a similar miracle by raising the only son of a widow. So their remark of a great prophet has risen among us comes from their knowledge of these prophets and their miracle account. 
verse 17. It says, And this report about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. It says that news of him spread. They started spreading the word. People went to work, their neighbors, and school, and back home about their daily routines as ambassadors for Jesus, talking about Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Do you know him? Can I talk to you about him? Are you glorifying God for the things that he has done for you today, church? Are you telling people about the great things that he has done and is doing for you? Mark 16:15 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. There's a bid to proclaim. Would you be bold in proclaiming his good news and what he has done for you? So as we come to a close this morning, I'd like to invite the worship team up front. And as they play in the background, I want to end with a few thoughts. And you can sit. But uh, Luke is the only gospel that gives us an account of this resurrection miracle. Can you imagine the emotional transition in that moment? The young man sits up and starts talking. Gets out of his coffin and Jesus escorts him to his mother. The text doesn't describe this for us, but can you see her face? Can you see his face? Can you feel her joy? How long do you think she held her son for? You think she was screaming with joy? Was she crying with joy? What would be your reaction? There are only a couple other such miracles reported in the Gospels. The daughter of Jairus in Mark 5 and Lazarus in John 11. The brother of Mary and Martha. Interestingly, each of the three resurrection miracles reports the dead person in a different stage of death. When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, she was still in bed where she had passed only a few hours earlier. The widow's son laid in an open coffin on his way to the cemetery when Jesus performs the miracle. Lazarus is already in the tomb for four days when Jesus raises him from the dead. The time of death varied in measure for each of these stories. Yet Jesus' power to resurrect them shows that he can raise the dead no matter what. His miraculous power to resurrect is not dependent on whether a person has just died, has been dead for days, or is already decomposing. The same principle holds regarding salvation. Jesus can save any sinner, no matter how old he or she is, how long they've been a sinner, or how badly you've sinned. You might be saying, but you don't know what I did last night. doesn't matter. You don't know what I plan to do after. It doesn't matter. As I said earlier, what Jesus touches becomes purified and holy. He touches death and brings life. He touches those who are unclean and He makes them clean. He touches our lives. We are transformed. I want to say to you this morning that you are not too far gone. Would you allow Him to transform you? If that's you this morning with all eyes closed and heads bowed now, I'd like to pray with you to make Him Lord of your life. And so if that's you this morning and you're in here 
and you feel that some things we've talked about this morning resonates with you, or He's been tugging at your heart, or if you've been in relationship with Him in the past and you've walked away, you're not where you want to be in your relationship with Christ, would you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. Is that you? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see I see that hand. Church, let us pray. And uh, if all of you can repeat after me. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Admit that I am in need of you. I'm in need of your saving grace. I'm in need of your gift of salvation. I want to be right with you. I want to be pursuing you. I know that you are pursuing me. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Your word says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. So today I choose to believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth that You are Lord and Savior of my life. Thank You for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, something that also happened this week, I don't find it coincidental that this week, the week I'm asked to preach, is also the week that it marks the murder of my brother some years ago. This past Tuesday was that anniversary. And I also find it not coincidental that the passage of Scripture I shared on today is the widow's son returned to life. In preparation for this week, I felt the weight of this story. The weight of delivering, the weight of dealing with the text. And humbled. But I've allowed him also this week to heal the sorrow that still lingers. The vivid dreams I still have. A couple just this past week caused by discovering his body and observing the violence and the trauma that marred it. And it's not that I haven't taken it to him before or sought out counseling, but such pain and memory can linger and shows up in subtle, unexpected ways. Sometimes we can wonder, does Jesus care about us, especially when we face great loss and experience wrecking our lives? Maybe you have a family member or friend who lost a family member. And now on top of that, is facing serious medical issues. Circumstantially, it may appear that the Lord has passed them by and doesn't care about them. Or maybe that person is you. Maybe there's an area of your life that you're dealing with tragedy, that you've been wrecked. I want to remind you that the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses or what we're going through. Jesus was and continues to be moved by the hurts and sorrows of people. He's not hindered or limited by the things that render us hopeless, even when we cannot see Him or feel His presence. He's at work on our behalf. He's at work on your behalf. With Christ, there is always hope. And if that's you this morning again, I want to pray for you. So with all heads bowed, if you're dealing with a difficult 
situation of your life, if you're dealing with tragedy, if you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, if there is a grief that lingers, that tugs at your heart, that weighs you down, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Amen. 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 Father, you know our hearts and share our sorrows, God. There are many in here who have experienced loss, hurt, sorrow, or grief that lingers. Or they have found themselves in a desolate land. Lord, just as you had compassion on the widow and restored life to her son, God, I ask that you restore life in the area of our lives where we've experienced loss where we've rendered as dead. Bring life, God. Bring healing. Your word says you are close to the brokenhearted and you rescue those whose spirits are crushed, God. I pray that you draw close and rescue. Help us not to grieve like those who haven't discovered your kindness and mercy, who have no hope. Lift us up and give us hope once more. In your name I pray. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask if you can stand with me. And uh, as we come to a close, I wasn't planning on sharing this. We'll be going into this song back here in a second. Here I bow. And uh, if those who are praying for people, if you can come up front. Um, But around this time, 10 years ago, I was going through a very difficult time in my life. A situation that caused me a lot of pain. A situation that was unexpected, that I did not expect to happen. And things like that happen in our life. And I'm sharing this story because I feel that there are some of you in here that there's a part of you that you, you can't even feel compassion. You can't even empathize because you've been so messed up by hurt. You're grieving so much that you do not even know what the right responses are. You do not even know how to feel about this. Someone has let you down so many times that you don't even know how to trust. And if that is you this morning, I'm asking you to come up for a prayer. Do not leave here this morning without getting prayed for. In Ezekiel... 36 verse 26 I believe it speaks about a new spirit he will give unto you that he will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh he can give you a heart of flesh if you find yourself not able to sympathize and not able to empathize let him give you a heart of flesh this morning church come on up for prayer I encourage you, do not leave here this morning. If He's tugging at you, if it's something that you've been carrying for years, come on up for prayer. It took someone to have compassion with me. It it started with prayer, but it took someone sitting with me and walking me through forgiveness. Maybe there's unforgiveness there that's blocking that. Come on up for prayer this morning. And so, if that's you, Again, just come for prayer. I can't emphasize it anymore. Come for prayer. The worship team will go into this song, Here I Bow. And uh, would you just respond in this moment? Pastor Randy and Debbie is up front here. And I'll be up front here. Uh, If you need prayer, come on up today. Amen.